0: Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Are you frustrated with your lack of good health? Are those stubborn pounds sticking to you like glitter at a kid's craft party? Well, fret no more. Joining us next is world-renowned fitness and diet expert Jillian Michaels. She will empower you with an arsenal of proven strategies, expert advice, and unstoppable motivation. If you're ready to get fit and break free from those yo-yo fad diets and embrace a sustainable, healthy lifestyle, don't go anywhere. Jillian Michaels is in the house, and this transformation starts now.
1: It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and
0: renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an icon in fitness, health, and wellness. With a social media following exceeding 100 million, she's become a global force in helping people reach their optimal health, Her fitness DVDs are the highest-grossing home workouts in history, and her fitness app stands out as the top-rated diet and exercise app for women. She's an Emmy-nominated television talent, and her many appearances include E! News, Insider, Live with Kelly and Ryan, and The Today Show, just to name a few. She's authored eight New York Times best-selling books and hosts the acclaimed podcast keeping it real. Add to this list, speaker, certified nutritionist, black belt in karate, and successful entrepreneur. It really begs the question, what is her secret to attaining this astounding fitness, energy, and unwavering focus? Let's find out. Welcome to the show, Jillian Michaels. Thank you, Doc. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. You know, when it comes to weight loss, a lot of people, and I hear it all the time, they believe that they can eat unhealthy and just work off those calories at the gym. And last week, I gotta share this. I was running next to a guy at the treadmill and he proudly said, I earned that chocolate donut. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious. First question is, can somebody outrun their fork or does diet play a more significant role in achieving permanent weight loss? Okay, forgive me. I'm gonna do a probably a five-minute diatribe here because there's
1: nuance like everything involving health, as you well know, the first thing is let's separate the concept of weight loss and health. Because while the two do intersect, you can eat like crap and still lose weight if you're eating less crap. And by the way, you can be unhealthy at any size. You can be very thin and petite and very unhealthy, have heart disease, cancer, diabetes, when we look at food, I want you to appreciate two different components. The first one is the micronutrients, right? The vitamins, the minerals, the fiber, the antioxidants, the polyphenols, all that stuff is good for your health. And then conversely, it may have chemicals, fake fats, fake colors, fake sweeteners, all that stuff is bad for your health. So when we're looking at our health, that's the number one thing I want people thinking about. When we're talking about weight loss... I hate to say it, but I promise you it is true. It's been proven over and over and over again, and I could give you a million different studies, and a million different examples. Weight is calories in, calories out. Calories are units of energy that exist in our food. So there's some, some nuance here. Some people burn more calories than others. Some people process food slightly. To, at the end of the day, if you eat less and you move more, you will facilitate weight loss. Will you be healthy if you're eating garbage? No, you'll probably still succumb to things like cancer and type 2 diabetes, but this is why we want both of those things to intersect. Can you outrun the fork when it comes to weight loss? Depends how much is on the fork. Can you outrun cancer and diabetes with the chocolate donut? (laughs) Uh, You'll put it off longer for sure, but it depends again how many donuts. So, to just give you one last piece of advice here. If you are trying to maintain your weight, that is what is on your plate, period. Because if you don't eat more then your body is burning off in your average day, you won't gain weight. You just won't. If you're trying to lose weight, that is going to be predominantly exercise. And the reason, it's a combo, but the reason is because we simply cannot starve off enough calories to facilitate weight loss. So here's the simple math. If me being 49 and five foot three, 116 pounds, let's say I was 130 pounds and I want to be 120 pounds, right? I'm probably burning about 1300 calories in my average day without going to the gym. If I'm on my feet a bit more on my phone calls, maybe I'm getting to 1400 calories. Okay now I'm starving myself. I'm eating 1,200 calories a day. I am dieting, right? I'm still only creating a calorie deficit of roughly a couple hundred calories a day. Now a pound is 3,500 calories, roughly, give or take. So based on that math, it's going to take me over two weeks to lose one, like two and a half, three weeks to lose one pound. But if I go to the gym and I work out. I'm now taking my 1,500 calorie burn to 2,100 calories over the course of the workout and the added metabolism boost for 24 hours, that's going to take me a week to lose a pound, maybe even two pounds in the same week. So it depends on the goal. And how much is on the fork, if right. you will, if that no, makes sense. No,
0: that's, that's a good answer. What about the other excuse I hear is genetics, you know? What does that have to do with weight? So many people believe, they, they blame their genes on why they can't fit into their yeah. genes, and they give up, my mom's overweight, so I have no hope. What do you say to these people?
1: Well, it's, it's a very popular message, and that's because it's a very profitable one. So what we need to look at is who's profiteering at our detriment, right? If this is something that's completely out of your control, well, now you're a candidate for anti-obesity drugs, which is a big pharma heyday, and surgeries and all of the things that we can profit off of when it comes to the weight loss industry, which is a multi-billion dollar industry in America alone. With that said do genetics play a role? Of course they do. And I'm a perfect example. My father is overweight. I was overweight as a kid. And if you looked at me and let's say my ex, we are roughly the same size and roughly the same age. And that woman can eat twice as much as me and never gain a pound. She happens to be an anomaly. People like that are more the anomaly. Whereas if I don't watch what I eat and I don't work out, I will gain weight a bit more easily. But the point is that you can affect the expression of your genetics by the way you live. So I can eat, I eat probably, I don't know, anywhere from 1,500 to 1,800 calories a day, usually more like 1,800 on the days that I work out because that's what I burn in a day and I'm in maintenance mode. That is plenty of food for a 49-year-old who is five foot three. So I'm not suffering. And the point is that while you may not be able to eat anything you want and go unscathed, you can absolutely control your weight by controlling how much you eat, using some common sense with your food choices, and attempting to move your body on a regular basis. And it doesn't have to, well, I would love, trust me, I would love it to have you to be doing HIIT training twice a week and resistance training twice a week and getting this We now call it zone two cardio, but the bottom line is, let's say a step goal, right? Having a step goal every single day of, my fantasy world is 10,000 steps, but I'll take five. I mean, all of that would be fantastic. But if we meet somewhere on that scale of 10 being everything I want, if you hit five, you're going to be winning. Right. No matter what your genes are.
0: Yeah. So the DNA is basically just a challenge, but it's not an excuse. Don't say, eh, I might as well just eat this cake because my parents are overweight. So it's a, it's a good- Not even remotely. Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. Let me ask you, when it comes to exercise, the great question for me to ask you, what do you consider the biggest myth, that one thing that makes you roll your eyes because so many people believe it to be true and you just cringe? Oh, gosh. Is there one that jumps out? Oh, my
1: out? God. There's so much. I-
0: I don't even know where to begin.
1: (laughs) There's so much nonsense surrounding this. Maybe the fact that, oh, here's one. This one has really begun bothering me more than everything else these days. People tend to think that as they age, there are certain inherent limitations, right? So they build workouts based on age. Well, what do I do if I'm 50? Well, what do I do if I'm 60? And they think there's no more resistance training because now they're 50. There's no more running because now they're 60. There's no more heavy lifting because now they're 70. Not only is this untrue, it's dangerous. And the reason is that when you stop engaging in these behaviors, that is when your sarcopenia, right? muscle loss, loss of bone density, these things become exacerbated because you aren't engaging in. Strength training. You have no impact in your workouts. If you have an injury, obviously, you you need to work around it. But that myth of, well, I'm 50 now, so I can't do X, I can't do Y, I can't do Z is just complete baloney. And the more you don't engage in those behaviors, the worse your physical conditioning becomes and it gets itself.
0: Yeah. Awesome answer. I believe personally, I think it's, if people are solo, it's so tough to get fit and and get healthy. And, and I love that you created this amazing fitness app, which basically offers targeted diet and exercise guidance created by you. Share with the listeners how they can benefit from you giving them the rah-rah from behind. The cheerleader.
1: Oh, I appreciate the softball <laughs> over the plate here. Uh, I mean, as mentioned, health and weight loss is a billion dollar industry. And I am a person who works in that industry. But my business is nutrition and fitness. So for me, I'm all about getting people to eat better and not be miserable doing it and to move their bodies and not be miserable doing it. So the fitness app is a one-stop shop for customized meal plans and personalized workouts so that you can get the results you want based on your goals eating the foods you like whether you're vegan or you want to be keto I you know I don't love that diet but I I did have did have an MD create create a keto meal plan for people so it could be as healthy as possible Whether you like yoga, whether you want to work out at home, whether you want to be in the gym, whether you want walking programs, whether you want meditations, there's community, there's sleep support everything all in one completely personalized to your needs and you can use it on any device stream it to your TV your phone your tablet any place anytime anywhere
0: yeah i love it you don't just offer exercise and healthy eating everyone knows we need that but you dive into stress relief and better sleep which plays such a crucial role you really covered all the bases where can people le- you know go to learn more about this fitness app
1: You can get it in any app store. So, you know, it's the Google Play Store, it's the app store for Mac, or you could simply go to the fitnessapp.com and you'll see all the different features on the app. You can get it through the website as well and it will go straight to your phone. But to learn more in detail, the app store or the website gives you all the details.
0: Great. I know you mentioned keto. You you and me, we share very congruent beliefs in diet, and you're not a fan of these fad diets. I'm curious, what's your views on this current restrictive carnivore diet? Just eat meat, skip the fruits, the veggies, the grains. What's your opinion? Are we supposed to eat like lions? Okay. I don't believe in opinions. And (laughs) I think they're
1: amusing. But I, you know, in my industry, I deal in data, and I'm very fortunate to work with many doctors like yourself who come on a, a, a podcast where I get to interview some of the greatest minds across all specialties of medicine, and they decipher the information for me. So whether I'm talking to guys like Harvard geneticist Dr. David Sinclair. Or, you know, an and Harvard angiogenesis doctor, William Lee, who cured his 80 year old mother with food. Or, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dan Buettner, who researched and wrote The Blue Zones, studying people who live to be centenarians. The data seems to come back pretty straightforward. It's, and by the way, everybody on The Blue Zones, their diet is 65% complex carbohydrates. So, it all comes back as follows.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Eat
1: real real food, food. right? You, You eat real food. You don't overeat the real food. And you can vary your macronutrient ratio, meaning your protein, fat, and carbs. And we all break down food at a different pace, meaning... Oxidize food and turn it into blood sugar and energy at a different rate for a variety of reasons. Nonetheless, you might feel better having some more protein in your diet. You might feel better having more complex carbohydrates in your diet, depending on your energy level and what have you. Listen to your body if you want to fine tune those ratios. But having this crazy like
0: all meat. Oh what no. about the all raw liver? People are sitting there chewing li- li- liver and that's it. That's their meal. I think we came
1: out with that guy being on steroids, <laughs> the liver
0: king guy. Oh no no, wait no no, he said I got off of him for 180 days and I'm still muscular. So now live oh. like I live. In other words, he de- he said, "Yes, I apologize, but look at me. I didn't need him." Is what he's basically saying. It was the li- it was wow. the liver. Uh, Okay.
1: I mean, mean, here's here's the one thing that I I will say about the all-protein diet that can really throw people off is you will look really lean, right? It's like, oh, look how lean I am. But there's a whole host of other things and biomarkers that are not being exposed. What is your microbiome like when you're eating all meat? You know, all those microbes in your gut need they need fiber. They need complex carbohydrates to thrive and we know that those guys are associated with serotonin production and the function of our immune system and how we absorb our nutrients like there's so much more going on here, but the reality is we don't need to look inside those people because we have years of data. And even if we're looking at this anecdotally like the blue zones, there's a theme. And that is the theme is that we eat real food, we don't overeat, and we get a variety of healthy fats. Mostly we should be eating like a lot of plants, a lot of complex carbohydrates, healthy fats like polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, and honestly, the animal protein more sparingly. But if you have a higher amount of it, the world isn't going to end. But living on all of it is is very
0: counterintuitive. I'm with you on that. I've had the honor of interviewing a lot of the guests that you mentioned on this show. And I'm curious, is there any particular of all the guests you've interviewed, any aha moment that you recall from a guest, maybe some health tidbit you learned that now you apply to your life?
1: Gosh, I mean, all of them kind of blow my mind. You know, I got to speak with Dr. Molly Malouf about mitochondria and she definitely changed some of the ways that I'm training. I got to speak with Dr. Casey Means about metabolic disease and, and Dr. Amy Shaw, and they shifted my appreciation for how important circadian rhythm is in not just like how well you sleep, but how well your body functions because it's functioning on a clock. Certain body processes Exist on a certain timeline. And when that gets out of whack, your body's not doing the jobs that it needs to do at the right time in an optimal way. My gosh, Dr. Robin Chutkan is just like, wow. She's the most incredible gastroenterologist. And she's the one, right, that, that, that I increase the amount of fiber that I eat tenfold because I was so focused on fermented foods and probiotics. And she's like, yeah, that's great. But if you're putting that stuff into a toxic environment where it can't grow, I want you to focus on the soil. So then I started shifting all of that to way more fiber and getting way more complex carbs in my diet to feed my microbiome. And I noticed a huge difference in my immunity over the course of like three to six months. Dr. Lee, Dr. William Lee is this guy. I I worship at this guy's feet, love him. And he has very effectively put pretty much every nutrition myth we suffer from in the the diet zeitgeist of pop culture to bed for for me and the people that I work with or have the pleasure of influencing via Social media or my app. So they're, they're all pretty. I mean, David Sinclair, obviously, I've that guy's got me taking all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs>
0: it's great. So, yeah. So, so as podcast hosts, we kind of do this selfishly. We want to be healthier. So, we invite guests, not just yes. for you guys, but us too. We listen. So, 100%. I think my aha moment is I asked a world renowned cardiologist, Dr. Steven Sinatra, the best thing to do to prevent a heart attack. And I figured he'd talk about healthy diet and exercise. He said we should floss our teeth. He shared how bacteria that, between yes. the teeth is a leading cause of heart attacks. So, it was so amazing tidbit. I floss three times a day now. I couldn't get that out of him. I'm like, I don't want a heart attack. I bought the water pick. (laughs) I know. I went and bought the freaking water pick thing at home
1: after I heard that. it's Yeah, I'm totally with you 100%. It's because it's passion. It it comes from our passion. And then we get excited to share it, work with
0: Passion is purpose. Oh, so, so true. Hey, one of the big excuses I hear when it comes to not exercising and not eating healthy is not enough time. And considering most people work eight hours, they sleep eight hours, that leaves eight hours extra per day to devote a healthy lifestyle, but they don't have the time. What advice can you offer people to stop using that four-letter word, time, as an excuse?
1: I've got a couple ways to tackle this one. Very literally, I created something called the 12-hour rule. And the long and the short of it is if you're working, let's say, 60-hour work week, right, and you're sleeping eight hours, it leaves you, I can't have to do the math all over again, but there's like 140, some hundred and something hours in a week. The, the bottom line is if you're dedicating 60 hours to work and half of your free time to your kids and your family and you're sleeping eight hours, you're left with around 12 hours. If you schedule those 12 hours ahead of time, let's say four half hour exercise sessions, a brunch with friends or a friend, and you could circle it. So every week you're seeing either your group of friends or a friend. So you have time to stay in touch. You've got a date night in there. You've got a couple hours for hobbies. That's really my number to keep myself sane. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect not when you have a job and you have kids or you have aging parents, but it's good enough to keep you healthy and sane and afloat, if you will. The other part of this is if you were to challenge my 12-hour rule, I would simply say to you, fine, multitask. So while you're on the phone, get up and walk around. Get the step goal in. Move your body. Control what you can control because eating less and eating better has nothing to do with your time frame. It could save you time and it could save you money. Be more active over the course of your day. So sometimes when I'm answering emails, I will literally just get on the stepmaster, the step mill with my phone and answer emails. I will walk while I while I'm on calls. I incorporate everything into one as often as I possibly can. Even quality time with my kids, it's like, okay, can we, you know, what if we take a surf lesson together? What if we go snowboarding together? What if we are bike riding together? So that you're incorporating more activity, whether you're working or whether you're spending family time or whether you're walking your dog. Would I love all the other stuff? Yes. Like I said, yes. But if you're eating less and you're doing that, it's going to make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I love that answer. It's like, hey, we know you got stuff to do, but you could do some physical fitness while you're doing that. Like I get some people, they... they they have time to binge watch netflix and they scroll on social media stand up do some lunges (laughs) uh denise uh, denise austin says while you're doing the dishes do some lunges do some one leg rate i mean just move while you're move move while you're into these uh iphones and tablets which people seem to have time for it's kind of odd yeah Uh, but they don't have time (laughs) they don't have time to cook healthy but boy they got time to scroll on tiktok for two hours a day
1: i know i know i
0: know yeah it's tough yeah let me let me ask you this Patients that tell me during the work day, it's fine. They can eat healthy and not overindulge because they're busy working. The challenge is when they get home, they reach for those snacks and alcohol as they decompress in front of the TV. Do you have any advice for evening nostrils? or something they should And I'm a nosher, so I'd love to hear your opinion. I'm a nostril as well.
1: This is where I would default to cognitive behavioral therapy techniques control the environment, remove it, don't keep it in the house. I'm the person that if Yesterday, I went to a lunch, a business lunch, and I did my little, you know, my my longer fast window. So I ended up having breakfast at like 11 and my lunch was at 1. And I was like, well, this is good. I'll just eat something really light. I'll just have a salad. That's fine. They put this bread basket at this Italian restaurant on the table and I was just like a oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> and I, the entire lunch, I'm I'm having an inner dialogue with myself like, you do not need that olive bread. You don't need it. You're going to win this. Don't touch that. But if there weren't other people at the table, I would have been the first to say, please don't bring the bread basket. So control the environment that you are the master of, in particular, your home. Don't keep the booze in there. Don't keep the treats in there. And if you're like, well, I have a significant other... My wife has a candy drawer. She's one of those people that can eat whatever she wants. I'm like, pick your drawer, put your crap in it. I don't want to know where it is. <laughs> and that's it. you know, it's it's like you have to sometimes remove temptation if it's commercials, which are you know, kind of a thing of the past now, but it's like, all right. I used to tell people, Tiva, your shows, fast forward to them. I'm like skip ad, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the YouTube button. If it's the donut shop on the way to work, take a different route to work. If it's the office kitchen, get a little mini fridge and keep a fridge in your office with just your healthy food so that you're removing temptation wherever you find it. Surround yourself with your why. Maybe it's your wedding dress. You're getting married and you want to look your absolute best on your wedding day. Maybe it's your grandkids. You want to live to see them walk down the aisle. Maybe it's your, it doesn't matter what it is. Surround yourself with the thing that is more important than the food and supplement your dopamine hit with behaviors that are life-affirming. So maybe it's a bubble bath. Maybe it's a manicure pedicure. Maybe it's a new playlist for your gym workout. Maybe it's something you, you know, if it is a TV show, like, all right, fine, allow yourself to binge watch an episode of Yellowstone. It's not that bad. Like, give yourself other things that will give you the dopamine hit that don't involve food or alcohol.
0: Yeah. So instead of the yellow popcorn with salt and butter, do a yellow banana while you're watching Yellowstone. <laughs> Let or
1: That, that, that sublim- would definitely be better. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Let 100%. That, that's great advice. Now you're a fan of intermittent fasting. What about this one meal a day fad now, 23 hours, skip food, eat one hour a day. Is this fasting window excessive or something you embrace? I personally do not embrace it. I recently spoke with Dr. Jason Fong,
1: who I happen to respect, I don't have a lot of respect for. And he wrote, you know, the cancer code, the diabetes code. And he looks at OMAD for people with extreme, extreme health issues like cancer, like advanced type 2 diabetes, who are morbidly obese. And if they can tolerate it, he uses it to very quickly resensitize them to insulin and rip a tremendous amount of weight off of them very fast. I don't think that that's accessible. I don't think it's maintainable if it's under doctor supervision for you know a very specific reason then great, but it's it's for people with those types of conditions. It would not be for, let's say, someone like myself who would probably develop sarcopenia. I would lose muscle. I would lose bone density. I wouldn't get enough calories in that window. If I did, I'd be shoving all my calories in at once, which isn't healthy. I utilize an intermittent fasting window of 14 to 16 hours. So I'm just, I'm allowing my body to not be digesting food and not have insulin surging for that window. And then I've gotten into the deeper fasts of 36 hours once every six months. And that's so I can do that autophagy, deeper autophagy clean out, right? Where the body goes into those zombie cells and the dead and senescent tissue and it does that sort of deep cleanse. And like I said, 36 hours every six months, that's what I do. And I do this for my health. This isn't a weight loss strategy. If people are getting into intermittent fasting for weight loss, it also will not work unless you are restricting calories as well. So there's time-restricted eating, which is what I engage in, which means I don't eat from one window to the next, but I don't restrict calories. Intermittent fasting is a combination of restricting your time frame and your calories, and that will facilitate weight loss. In the event that you need to lose weight, and you're keeping, you still need to keep track of the calories.
0: That's a great answer. I know Dr. Daniel Amen was on the show, brain expert. He said the 23 hour a day fasting is very unhealthy for the brain. Brain needs nutrition. You can't go 23 hours a day. So, and then I'll get an expert that says it's good for you. So it's like you know we got we got to weigh our. <laughs> I really don't think you will.
1: I think you'll get an expert that if you're morbidly obese and you have all that excess body fat as fuel then they might make the argument that as long as you're getting your micronutrients, you can condition, that this is the argument, you know, you can condition the body to run more efficiently off of fuel, and they've done muscle biopsies as well to show that the muscle can become more efficient at running off of fat for fuel instead of glucose and blah, blah, blah. If you are a person with advanced health risks, then you can engage in that conversation with a medical professional and what have you. The average bear, absolutely not. I think that it's it can create all kinds of problems, physically and psychologically and i also think that the people i know who do it they're like ah it's awesome i just and then they pound food into that window which is not good i i don't see the benefit of it for a healthy individual I only see a potential potential downsides.
0: Yeah, so so spot on. Uh, you've achieved so many things in life. I struggled to downsize your bio in the in the intro, but I'm curious, is there anything particular that stands out of all the things you've accomplished you're most proud of, or maybe perhaps a milestone that you achieved in spite of naysayers? Maybe you got to throw an I told you so, Adam. Oh, anything gosh. jump to mind?
1: I would say, look, on a personal level, I have to say parenthood, because I find it to be the most challenging thing. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, I can't believe I'm hanging on. I'm like, well, everybody got through the day alive. <laughs> and you know, we're all still speaking to each other, like, wow, a constant I my God, I just find that that job to be challenging on every level because it really forces you to evolve and grow and look at your shortcomings. So that
0: this- and, and it makes sure maybe it makes some people appreciate their parents. I was like, wow, they went through that. Oh my god! You want to forgive your parents? Become a parent. Yours, you could
1: not be more right. It's so interesting. I I I'll never forget that conversation I had with my father. I was like, okay, I've become you, and now I understand. You know, it's it's really interesting. You're absolutely right. Professionally, there's there's still a lot left to do. lot of things I haven't accomplished that I would like to accomplish. If I was to thumb my nose and say, ha, 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 it would simply be the fact that I've had decades of longevity. You know, it's like, ah, she doesn't know. Ah, She's this or she's that or she's a whatever. She's not really a blah, blah, blah. We're two decades into this now. And I'm writing op-ed pieces for Newsweek and uh, regularly appearing on the Today Show and Kelly Clarkson and Jennifer Hudson, and, and now it was Kelly and Ryan, but now it's Kelly and Mark. It's like I've endured, and that would be the thing that is a testament, I believe, to my authenticity and my passion for what I do and my constant endeavor to learn and be as honest and truthful and accurate as I can be with the information.
0: I love that. People ask me what I do for a living because I wear so many hats, so many diplomas. I always say I'm a full-time student. I remain that because I'm still learning. As you just said, tomorrow's a new day. And what we really believed 10 years ago, I've changed. You have changed. So so 10 years, I can't say I know it all. And these people that say, I know it all, it's my way, the highway— that's not the kind of people I like to hang out with. I like open-minded like yourself, and you definitely beat the typecasted world. You've done it all. In the uh, last minute we have left, But time just flew by. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover today?
1: Gosh, no. I'm, I'm at your disposal. Is there anything
0: else? You- <laughs> no. I was going to ask. I hear a lot of controversy and alcohol. Now it's showing it's bad for us. It shrinks the brain, but we used to show it was good. Can we lose weight and get fit if somebody likes their daily wine, or is that off limits?
1: Okay. I would say if you're trying to lose weight, that's probably the only time that I would not imbibe because it does inhibit fat metabolism and it adds calories you don't need. With that said, I do believe that you can imbibe healthily and safely. And again, if you look at the blue zones and all of the individuals that live in those areas of the world, like the Mediterranean, for example, they do imbibe. Five, six drinks a week. And there are many potential health benefits. And here's what I'm going to say. As I look at the world, right? Antibiotics were prescribed prophylactically for everything, and now they're the devil. All vaccines were amazing, and now they're the (laughs) devil. It's like the truth is always going to be right in the middle. And, And here's my point, right? If all of a sudden I came to you and I was like, Doc, oh my God, I've got MRSA. You would probably have my butt in the hospital with Cipro going into every artery, right? right. right? But if I sneezed and I had a virus, I doubt you'd give me a Z Pack prophylactically because it has side effects. So, do we need to give children the HBV, hepatitis B vaccine that you get from risky sex and needles? Probably not. Do they need things like are there certain vaccines that save children's lives, like measles, my, you know, this is polio. Yeah. Kids aren't dying from that anymore. Kind of awesome. Are there side effects to a vaccine? Sure. So is it a cost-benefit analysis? I would imagine so. What do we absolutely need? What can we put off? What do we not need? Same thing with alcohol. If you're drinking copious amounts of alcohol, yeah, it's going to have a host of negative side effects. If you're drinking a few drinks a week and it's, let's say, wine or dark beer or a whiskey, are there potential benefits and upsides? Yeah. There's an argument that it can help remove amyloid plaques from the brain, that it can help keep your liver enzymes primed, that that, that some of it will have polyphenols and antioxidants. I mean, it seems to me that this is all about balance with all of these controversial conversations. Coffee. I mean, you and I could go on and on. That's what I take away from conflicting information is where's the sweet spot?
0: Exactly. Well said. I'll cheers to that. That's uh, (laughs) very very well said. And again, plus I think drinking maybe one or two glasses of wine right before bed with the sugar, maybe that's if you want to lose weight and you don't sleep as good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, you don't sleep as good. Exactly. Yeah. Weight loss is really the only time I ask. I'm like, eh, really? No, it's going to slow you down. I would avoid it. And when I drink, I have like a glass of red wine at dinner. I get like two drinks a week. So either I have two glasses of wine with a dinner or I'll have a glass of wine and I have this one sugar-free, it's just like fresh lime juice, tahine, watermelon, and jalapenos with silver tequila. I get that like, I don't know, once every two weeks and it's like a treat for me. I don't drink a lot, but... I drink little, and I'm perfectly healthy. Everything seems to check out so far. And I
0: had an elderly gentleman says, uh, I drink wine, but I switched to, at my age with my bladder problems, pee no more. <laughs> oh. Pee no more. Pee no more. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. It was cute. so cute. Well, the time flew by. I would definitely want to have you back. I've been trying to get you on the show, and it's uh, great to finally connect with you. You're welcome back anytime. Oh,
1: Doc, thank you. I really appreciate it. And Maybe you could come on my show and uh, teach all of my listeners about every all your vast wealth of knowledge. I, l- I love, love, it. love it.
0: I wrote a book called Food Sanity, which is right in line with you, how to eat in the world of fads and fiction. So it's right up. Oh, We're on that I same see? middle. Like, wait a minute. That's a fad. That's a myth. So <laughs> I, I love that. Great. So to learn more, I want you to go to uh, JillianMichaels.com and be sure and sign up for the fitness app and have Jillian guide you through a customized fitness and eating plan, stress management, and better sleep, which is so important. And while there, you can also check out her Keeping It Real podcast. You can follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jillian Michaels. For my daily health post, follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except on Instagram, I'm at Dr. D Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to your Good Health Radio and RadioMD.com. And share these segments with friends, family members, coworkers on social media media. I always say sharing is caring. Don't keep this stuff to yourself, folks. Jillian shared a lot of great info. Let's get the word out. And you can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio, Spotify, and iTunes. More to come. Stay well and stay tuned.